The following program might make you think of things you've never thought of. Did you ever think of that? What do you think, Reverend? Once something has been approved by the government, it's no longer immoral. Good evening, humans. Welcome aboard the Mothership Radio Show. Here's your host, Kevin Gassman. Our preconceptions of who and what we are as human beings is being challenged to change our perception of how things should be on this planet. Join me as I interview artist cartoonist Dale Hendrickson of The Simpsons and Futurama as he shares his extraterrestrial highway journey into the unknown in a special edition of The Mothership Radio Show. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Open your mind real wide now. I'm freaking out, man. You are freaking out, man. It was a Wednesday night in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard at a speakeasy called The Well, next door to the famous Hollywood Palladium where I met Dale Hendrickson, tucked away in a corner booth. I told him what the show was about and asked him about his interests. What I pursue generally, arts, weirdness, paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> you're right at home, man, right Yeah, here. yeah, that's where, uh, that's where I live, you know. You are an artist, you're a cartoonist. And you've worked on shows such as The Simpsons. Hi, everybody! All the way back to He-Man. Skeletor! How did you get in? <laughs> and She-Ra. Oh, enjoying yourself, She-Ra. Of course, I was a mere child working on that. No, okay. Yeah, you've uh, just dated me. I know. It freaks me out. But, yeah, that was uh, one of my first gigs coming out here. Back in the day, uh, I actually got hired at... Hanna-Barbera just before they no longer existed as Hanna-Barbera. It was really funny, too, because they were holding a night class in how to do very traditional hand-drawn animation. And uh, I took that class for a month and got hired right into the studio from that, and that brought me into animation, and I've never left. And Hanna-Barbera was, they were the, the top dog, weren't they? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, for, for TV animation, I mean, right. Disney obviously was always doing their thing with the features and all that, but... Uh, I grew up on Hanna-Barbera, stuff like so many people uh, in my generation did with, you know, Yogi Bear. And I'm smarter than the average bear. <laughs> and all that stuff. And then they went into the superhero stuff. So to get hired there was really, uh, it was bittersweet in a way because it was like, yeah, I grew up doing this stuff. And yet you kind of had the feeling that it wasn't, there was something missing. They weren't like carrying the torch anymore of like leading animation like they weren't going to last i mean you could feel it really sort of. yeah Interesting. what did you look at the technology that was going in a different way or was it maybe just the feel of the cartoons in the morning I don't, i'm not really sure if it was that or just a feeling within the studio itself like like maybe i don't know technology was they were doing some weird things too i mean they brought in a, a digital ink and paint system. This was like 79, long before it was really viable, yet they thought they'd be on cutting edge. So they invested all this money into a digital ink system. Totally didn't really work. <laughs> but uh, the, just the shows that they were doing then was were not the original things we remember, like, uh, for right. instance, Flintstones. Wilma! I mean, that was that generation's Simpsons, you know? I mean, the Flint every household knew what the Flintstones were all about. But when I came to the studio, they weren't really doing them anymore, you know, except for specials and things like that. Interesting. Well, I'm wondering so, if, yeah. as far as, you know, the new wave of cartoons during that time, the transition of just the different styles, or not, not the styles, maybe maybe the different storylines might have been yeah. changing at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, was, was, was He-Man, was Hanna-Barbera, right? Was it or no? No, that was uh, Filmation. Okay, Filmation. Yeah, right. so that Filmation was... was actually trying to push things into another direction. I think at that time, too, the whole paradigm of how cartoons were paid for, what the business model was, was changing, actually. And I think, I don't know if Hanna-Barbera got caught up in that, not being able to shift with that, or or uh, I don't know. It's just hard to say. But um, you were there for the, like the last couple of years. Yeah, before yeah, they... I know. I, I went over to Filmation, and within a few years, I mean, Hanna-Barbera was kind of gobbled up between uh, Cartoon Network and WB, and I'm still confused as to who actually owns their library anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> But the legend of Hanna Barbera, you worked there. That's yeah, yeah. really cool, the, man. The studio I mean, was was awesome space. It's over there on uh, Ventura Boulevard, you know, in right. uh, 
Studio City, and it's uh, just offices now, I guess, but that building had a lot of history. As I say, I went over to Filmation then, and they were doing, uh, they had everything from the Archies, Archies to Fat Albert hey, hey, hey. to um, Flash Gordon. Join me, Flash Gordon. Okay. The animated Flash Gordon. And I have to say, when I got over there, that was the... Uh, sexiest looking show I'd ever seen <laughs> done for a kid's show. I was like, are you serious? I mean, look at the uh, the proportions of these women on this show. So how does that work as far as designing characters for cartoons? Because, I mean, you can't get too risque, but yet, you know, the, what, where's the line? Yeah, drawn, you it, know? Was, uh, it was... Tan it, lines here? Yeah. <laughs> It was always interesting to me because we would push the boundaries and see what would happen. And <laughs> the, the networks would always come back with, whoa, okay, this isn't going to work, you know. But but I'm thinking, too, like, there's always those videos online where they say, here's Disney slipping in a nipple here. <laughs> you know, was, was He-Man or She-Ra, did you guys sneak something in there that no one would know unless you had a st stop and pause action? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> not that I can remember. You know, there, I think there were a few controversies out there, but uh, I don't know. Some of the uh, cartoon geeks out there might know better than even I do, but uh, <laughs> there were some designs, though, that uh, I remember one uh, for Shira that I did, uh, Scorpia, and I remember I was drawing that thing, and I was like, <laughs> one of my favorite designs from that era, and uh, one of the uh, layout artists came up to me and said, Dude, we can't get away with that. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, we'll see. Well, it actually went through. It went, blew my mind. It was like, okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, you got the, the execs maybe not really understanding. You're like, well, it's a cartoon, and it's about, you know, whatever it's about. Yeah. Let, let them do their own thing. That's probably what it's supposed to be, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. what, it's, what it's supposed to look like, you know. <laughs> totally, yeah. It's, 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 I think sometimes it would just, like, go past the uh, the censors. There was a lot of censors. And that was a huge show, though. I mean, those, those are huge cartoons right there. Yeah, right yeah. Off your, off the, was it pretty much off the start of your career, right? Yeah, I was right out of art school. I right. mean, I and you're working on these huge like hits. 19, 20 years old. Oh, that know? young. Yeah, we came right out from art school and landed here oh, and wow. uh, went right to work. You know, that's really cool, man. Yeah, I, I only went to a two years art school because I was like, I just want to know what I need to do to draw to make money. You know, interesting. <laughs> right. so you, but you have the natural talent, obviously. Uh, to a degree, yeah. My uh, my math skills weren't working, so I knew I had to make the artwork. So. Uh, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a ballsy move, man. You just came out to Hollywood and said, here I am. And yeah, well, I met my uh, my wife in art school, and together we just took, a, like, a Greyhound bus. I think we had, like, it was a $50 one-way bus special out to Hollywood. It was that was it. Really? We had our stuff under the bus, and we got out here, and boom, there we were. Off the street, just like Axl Rose. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy right dude. on man that's very yeah. cool and we have dale hendrickson with us here and artists uh you know activists as well we're going to get into a little bit of that but i want to let people know where we met we met at a show in, in the valley in los angeles and there was a uh, paladino's for our friend johnny Chiravolo and for his band the black massive and I saw you in the crowd, and you had the alien shirt from, from the UFO Congress out in, in uh, Fountain Hills. And I was like, yo, I was there too. <laughs> I just didn't realize that we were started talking, and it turns out that, well, who you are, and you were there doing art, and I didn't realize we didn't meet over there, which bums right, me right. out. <laughs> and I was like, how did I miss you? And I was probably in my own little world running around doing my own thing. And, you know, you were probably busy That's as hell. That's so funny. Too. Yeah. I had a, whole, a booth there. It's, it's, and uh, I didn't yeah. stop by every booth, obviously, because right, if right. I did, we would have met already. Totally, but, uh, yeah. But I guess, you know, the fate has had it, but we got to meet and get to talk. And you do a lot of them, obviously. You were just over at the one in Pasadena. Yeah, I just actually Alien started Con. doing more of the local stuff just because, for one thing, it's a lot less expensive to do things that are local. And there's a lot of conventions like this that are happening locally that uh, I want to get involved with. And it's only been the last couple of years that I've... I've gone from um, kind of mostly just having my head down like to the grindstone doing uh, freelance work and animation design work, you know, whether it's The Simpsons or other uh, animated uh, shows and projects, <laughs> to kind of exercising the other side of my brain, which is like the total, you know, all the paranormal, the UFO mm. stuff, and, right. and doing art related to that, sci-fi, I mean... Uh, concept design for film it's always been there i just haven't really exercised until like a couple of years ago then i started putting out all these paintings and everything and started getting into these conferences and stuff and a lot of fun and fascinating and really finding my uh, second wind in a way or the other right side on. of my brain just like yeah this is well, that's great. cool because i mean the i guess the direction you can go with when you're talking paranormal or you're talking you know aliens and ufos 
is so open-ended. Yeah. I mean, you can go anywhere you want to go with it. And you showed me a really cool art piece that you did, and it's kind of the, the triangular UFO over ex- the extraterrestrial highway. Right. And it, and it disappears and it comes in, but it's, it's a, and how you walk by the the image is that correct right right so it's always there but if you're on the side you can't see it if you're in front of it you can yeah it's a it's a process called uh, lenticular printing and it's a you may have seen them uh commercially they're used a lot with like business cards where you flick it and you get like the uh, logo or something that fades on and off or right. different things or big billboards i have a guitar pick that's oh, really? Seriously? From an alien face to, like, <laughs> I think, uh, Stonehenge. Uh, nice. like <laughs> oh, sweet, yeah. That's totally the idea. Yeah, I wanted to do this piece because I've been out, Terry, 51. I've been, I've done all that crazy stuff. I've. Uh, How far did you get? Uh, we got pretty far. I mean, there's a friend of mine, and we uh, uh, kind of hooked up back in the, the day. We were doing a lot of, uh, I met him actually at a computer animation conference in a user group and uh, got to know each other. And it turns out he was very much into the paranormal stuff, and so was I. So it turns out we, uh, we hooked up with somebody that was doing these tours out to Area 51. And uh, I thought, well, man, that's crazy. i got to get out there. You know, uh-huh. I've heard so much crazy stuff. So uh, we went out there, and uh, I've been out there about three or four times back in the late 80s. There's this one mountain called Whitesides, and you could climb up that thing, and you could literally get a view of the entire Area 51 base. Now, from that mountain, it's still like a couple miles away or a mile or so, but, you know, we have binoculars and all that, and we got film and cameras and all this and nobody caught you, obviously. Nobody caught us, but they could. I mean, right. numerous stories of people having helicopters come up there and take them off that mountain, even though it was technically public land. You had okay. a right to be there. There was no fence you climbed over. There no, was no, no not at that sign. point, no. Okay. We did go up to those <laughs> fences, and we went up to... Uh, we climbed all over the place over there. It was so bizarre. It's, it, if you get a chance, you got to go out there. Because did you see some... We saw some stuff. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Do you care to elaborate? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I mean, the thing was, if you're familiar with the whole Area 51 story, you know about like Bob Lazar is the right. guy that broke that story. And uh, supposedly on uh, like on a Wednesday night, he got in touch with some people out of Las Vegas uh, and uh, they went out and witnessed this thing and broke the story about that on Wednesday night. For some reason, Wednesday, I don't know why it's Wednesday, but you could see these UFOs being tested over Area 51, you could see them rise up over the mountaintops and doing weird stuff. So we're like, well, okay, let's go out on a Wednesday and see what happens. So so we went out there, and we got as close to the base as we could before. uh, There is a security group called Wackenhut that's always cruising around, and even though you're on technically public land, they will still come up and harass you. Right. So you got to be careful. So on Wednesday night, we drove out there, and uh, we parked, and there was a couple of other cars also parked in the same (laughs) vantage point, which is there's a little bit of a ridge we drove up on off the main highway where you have a good kind of shot of the mountain range where Area 51 is right on the other side. So you would see these things going up and down. So we're just all up there. It's a beautiful, like, starry night. You can't see more stars, I mean, anywhere else in the world. I mean, this place is so clear and magnificent. You just got to go there to experience it. But it looked like a a Spielberg kind of moment, you know, where you see the stars, you see the constellations. (laughs) We're all sitting there on a Wednesday night, and... All of a sudden, uh, two of the stars that we thought were stars took off in opposite directions Mm. out of the supposed constellation that we thought we were looking at, circled around the sky like in complete uh, opposite directions, went as far as you could see uh, from one end to the other. Then they circled back, came back and landed in exact spot where they were and stopped. Wow. And we're just like, holy crap, what is that? The ca- There's a truck, like, uh, pickup, like, I don't know, a couple hundred feet away from us. They started honking and blinking their <laughs> lights, <laughs> like, 
yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I mean, they were all partying. They sure, were like, okay. I don't know, it's probably like, <laughs> had some good weed over there. I don't know. But they were freaking out. And we're wow. like, what are you doing? Shut up. Yeah, you right. You're going to rat us Whack out. and Hud will be right yeah, up and like right. haul our asses out of there. Right. You know? I'd imagine, even with yeah. the headlights. And, yeah, and yeah. Risking it. Totally, yeah. So oh my we were goodness, like, what right. are you doing? You know, but, uh, so uh, <laughs> They're honking their horns. They kind of calmed down a little bit. But anyway, it was like, so we were pretty stunned. But it, it wasn't like... Uh, triangle craft hung over our heads or anything but it was right, but it was still pretty interesting it was a very I've, Spielberg moment you know? I can imagine and I've heard stories and I've read stories and hear of clips of people talking about seeing lights move and dance in the skies over Area 51. Just, right. I mean, how high these are just blips in, in the sky? They were like stars, you like know. Stars. I mean, it was like that Spielberg thing where you're looking at the sky, yeah. you know, starry and night, one and, moves the, and, and one star moves from its position. And then and another one moves. Floats around. He's like, what are they doing? You know, they're like fooling us, you know. Right. So I'm thinking, well, what do we know that could hover there all the time we're looking at it, which was about 45 minutes or more without moving, you know, and then all of a sudden two of them take off you know it's like well so in a sense you're just pretty much like once you get up there it's at night so your only visual would be the night sky right? yeah you're not looking at, at the that them in the ground are you or can no you, no you, right, i mean you're, just, you're looking at it's, it's you're just hoping something moves yeah yeah there's <laughs> i mean you have a starry night that's so bright that it's like a moon night you know where but the moon wasn't really out that night it was just from the stars, the sheer brightness of the stars. Right. But you see the silhouette of just the dark mountain range, you know, in front of you, because we're pretty close to that, right at the foot of that mountain range. And this stuff is going on just past it, you know, wow. and it's... Uh, was that the first thing that ever kind of uh, tripped you out a little bit as far as I, UFOs go? Uh, as far as my own personal experience, yeah, that was that was as close as I got. I haven't had, a, like, a, you know, like a experience where they land and... I. Well, whatever, what, what <laughs> and, happened uh, as far as being a young kid? and getting involved what was that trigger for you uh, i've just always been interested in that stuff i love sci-fi you know 1950s movies like i, I would watch those things day in <laughs> and day out if i could find them you know but one of the most interesting things was i had a cousin who was a uh, principal of a grade school so very straight traditional guy and uh, never said anything out of the ordinary and then one one evening at a family gathering for the holidays all of a sudden, he just breaks out with his story, and my brother and I, we're sitting there, and just, like, our jaws are, like, dropping to the ground. He says, yeah, you know, a uh, couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a couple of months, I don't know, but uh, my daughter came up to me and said, Dad, there's something uh, over our, uh, over the street in front of our house. So he goes and looks, and it's, you know, it's evening, so the sun is just about going down, but it's still very light out. There's a metal disc about 30 feet across reflecting the street on the bottom of it. Like really? it's so close? like like mirror, like metal of some kind. Oh, okay, well, I got you. Yeah, and it's just hovering there. So he goes and he, you know, I mean, he's standing there with his daughter who's eight at the time. And they're both standing there looking at it. She's like, what is it, daddy? You know, and, and he's telling us all this with a family gathering, you know. Like it's not a big deal or was like it was a big deal to him, right? I mean, to him it was like it was a kind of a big deal, but the rest of the relatives are like awestruck because <laughs> they've never heard anything like this from this guy. He's a very conservative, just, you know, so the choice, school principal, so the, you know, right. never talked about anything like this. So the thought of him joking was not uh, was not there. I mean, it yeah. was like this guy Oh yeah, like no, legit, it, this, this is guy. no joke. He would have made this up. Yeah, yeah. Right. And bringing his daughter into it as well and my brother and I were just we're looking at each other like, what the you know, it's just like, holy crap. Where was this at? What this part of the was country? in Michigan. Okay. It was uh, kind of in the outskirts of Detroit where there's a lot of rolling hills and woods, lots of woods. Turns out that when I look back at the time frame, this was like 68, uh, 67, 68. There was a huge UFO flap that they call it where there was just like tons of ufo reports interesting from that area hmm. and one of the key people in the ufo world if you follow it is ellen hynek yes ellen hynek right. was the government approved debunker <laughs> he was the approved astronomer that the government hired to pretty much debunk everything he was very involved in project blue book which was a uh, so-called investigation of the UFO phenomenon by the government. The Air Force has been accused from time to time of hiding information about UFO. What do you have to say to that kind of thing? 
Police charges are absolutely untrue. Because there were so many reports going on back in the day, they finally formed this thing and said, this is going to be our official investigation. Well, most people realize today that it was just mostly a cover to debunk everything, and Ellen Hynek was their prime debunker. So he invented the term swamp gas. Uh. Kind of based on a lot of these Michigan reports because Michigan has all these woods and it's it, it was legitimate he, to say that up there well or? he thought so I mean okay. he thought that would that would solve everything if he could call it all swamp gas so there's uh, no swamps in Michigan man <laughs> yeah. but uh, there was a lot of reports going on up in that area at the time so this is really interesting I actually learned that about the amount of reports going on much later I didn't realize it at the time but uh I'm wondering because, uh, well, he ended up becoming the, the founder and the creator of the, the Close Encounters scale. Yeah, yeah. He must have turned a page and Oh, he and totally said, did. And said, it, this, is, this is real, man. Yeah, <laughs> and one of the things that turned him was, if you remember the movie Close Encounters, uh, there was that scene where they're all, they're driving through multiple states and going through the turnstiles and all that. Right. That was an event that actually happened that he was very involved in. And it was kind of at that point where... From what I understand, he uh, he thought he was in charge of the program, or at least a certain part of it. And when he called his superiors to tell them, "Look, we're," because <laughs> he was, I think he was down there. I think he was involved in it directly. There's this craziness going on, and uh, his superiors were kind of like, "Well, is Saturn or Pluto out tonight?" And they right. they blamed the whole thing on like a misidentified. Pluto or Saturn or something like that. And he totally uh, lost it at that point. It's like, this is too crazy. You know, this is, you guys are holding out on me or something. You know, I thought I knew what was going on and clearly I didn't, you know. What did you expect to find? An answer. That's not crazy, is it? Can you you imagine that though, you know, like working in the field like that and, you know, you you know what you saw and you know what they saw is the same thing and then they're going, well, it's just a swamp gas or call it this instead. Right. You know, this is what you need to do. And it's like, that's kind of like, say, you know, that feud, man. I know. I mean, he was a full on debunker, you know, for him to totally switch. I mean, he realized that, uh, okay, this is a crazy phenomenon and he was a scientist, so it obviously perked his scientific curiosity you know and i think it launched his whole uh flip to want to be an investigator really get to the science it's, of what's going on it's here it's almost the same story as stanton friedman too you know he was, oh yeah he was kind of always an investigator yeah, but yeah. A, real, a realistic kind of guy so when you go out and we have dale hendrickson with us here um artist cartoonist going to these conferences you know i mean yeah you're, i mean you're there as an artist more or less right sure okay pretty much, so yeah. people are talking to you this and that i mean you're you're talking with you know uh, experiencers, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely. talking with with speakers. And You're right, like that. right. Yeah. What is it for you? Uh, what did you? What have you come out with this so far? With going to these, has it changed you any? For me, it's like I relate to people and their their honest experiences and the almost the energy of emotion that a person has when they've experienced something that changes their own life, and uh, this phenomenon. If you have a direct experience of some kind, it's going to change you, you know. And uh, that's the kind of thing I was looking for when I started going to these conferences because obviously my cousin and the, the different things that I've absorbed over the years that made me so interested in this phenomenon and this whole thing about right. what is going on with the, <laughs> right. the UFO situation. So going to these conferences... Yeah, uh, doing the art and having people come up to me over and over again. Like, yeah, my, me and my husband, you know, we, we saw that hovering over our car, you know, and or we saw that triangle thing over this and that. These are people who aren't writing books, aren't trying to make money, and, and they're not nuts from <laughs> anything I can tell, you right. know. They're just normal people, you know, experiencing all these things, and I think it's the true connection of... Uh, an experience that affects you, changes your whole outlook on life, that fascinates me, you know. it's. I've had a, a good friend of mine uh, is Lee Spiegel, and he's a writer for, uh, or was for the Huffington Post, and wrote on uh, a lot of the uh, paranormal and crazy things that Huffington Post had for a while, like, you know, the oddball stories okay, or whatever. Okay, right. But he's been a, a, a reporter for many years, and he had a personal experience back in, I think, 75, back in North Carolina. And uh, just to hear 
his experience and all the other people that I would meet, it's just like I respond to that. Right. You know, so you feel it. You know, it's. I think that's what drives some of my art. You know, it's right on. It's a real personal emotion that and, changes and, a person's life. You know? And going from you know, cartoony, if you will, to extraterrestrial. <laughs> you know, there's a you know there's a, there's a line. Obviously, you can't be too comical with your serious artwork or can you i mean i know kane and kodos right but <laughs> yeah, i worked I, on those guys Polish humans. Oh, yes, kodos. you know but there's that fine line if you want to be serious you know there's there's a real deal that you got to yeah, pay yeah. and you got to show because when you like this this like this show the mothership radio show you know when we talked to an experiencer last week it's when people tell me their stories and it's genuine you can tell it's genuine at least it's honest you can at least feel it from them yeah why should I not believe you? You know, right. why should I? I mean, I this could be real. This I have, have yeah. no reason to doubt it. Right. And that's what I'm kind of getting at when coming to these conferences. Yeah, and doing, yeah. The show is when you do hear someone tell their story, it's like holy crap, man! Like, there's no reason why you should lie about this. Right, right. Just, it would. I mean, yeah, there might be that you know random person out there who's like, yeah, I was, da, 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 you know, I was taking this and this and that, blah blah. blah but. You probably do it for attention, I can tell. Yeah. You're just not really, maybe, but maybe they are. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. How far would you go to believe someone? Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, at these conventions, you run into, obviously, the whole spectrum of people into various things. And, and there's a couple of, there, there's kind of two categories I run into. And that is genuine people who have had really serious experiences that affect their lives. And then there's another group that, would like to have that experience, but maybe never have. Right. Would like to feel important, and and they kind of create a whole reality around themselves and market themselves as, you know, I'm getting communication from Xantar. Right. On, you know, and it's like you <laughs> you see right through this stuff, but there is so much of that. It's <laughs> so much of that. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, that's it. Exactly. It's like, how yeah. far do I take you on your story? You know, there's this one <laughs> yeah. guy talking about living in or coming from the Middle Earth, you know, or, yeah, yeah. or Inner Earth. I always right. have those two mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. And, and it's like, listen, man, I'll, I'll listen to you. I'll You tell me what you want to tell me. Some person on another planet is doing this. That's great. I, I can only take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. You know, right. before I hit the BS meter, you know. Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to you. You can, you, I'll hear you out, but I'm only going to take it as far as I want to take right. it. You know, if I feel like you can bring me some proof of this, then we're talking on another yeah. level. Otherwise, it's really just your word. Yeah. And that's the fine line in this world you have to kind of figure out on your own. Yeah. Unfortunately, this, uh, this topic from UFOs to anything paranormal, it attracts so many people that have <laughs> other issues over and above uh, mm the actual experience and you run into that and you have to learn to uh, I mean you can kind of sort it out like you say the BS meter but I mean I think there's a lot of people that just want to belong to something you know they use it as a way of solving their own emotional issues I don't know what it is but they need to feel important so yeah there's tons of BS in this field that doesn't help it in it no. <laughs> to get any credibility because it, 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 it can go off the rails real fast. You and know? these are the conferences that we go to. Or you more than me, you more than me, but you know it's that's where they gravitate to. Yeah. Oh, totally. And because that's where they are with what they feel is their own. Right. And again, by all means, do what you need to do. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. Proof is needed in this business more so than anything else. Otherwise, Absolutely. Well, we have a bit on the show. We we say maybe it's real, right? Or maybe it's make believe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it can be either or, and that's the fun part about the conversation is how far you want to take it in your own mind. You right? Know, how far right. do you want to accept any of the abnormalities that are out there? Yeah, that are just like, all right, that's too too impossible. But maybe it's not because we don't know. Yeah. That's we really don't. <laughs> we don't but, man. but you can kind of pick up on. <laughs> I mean, some of these, you know, there's people that are having booths like next to mine, you know, and it's like sometimes like, okay, I'm just, I'm showing art, you know, but they're like, okay, I'm like a uh, consultant from the, uh, some other galaxy, you know, <laughs> and I'm getting these downloads and blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, you know, I can't discount any, in, in this field, who, who the hell knows right. really, but there is a certain element where you can kind of discern that 
okay, this person just needs a lot of validity, and that's why they're <laughs> here, versus somebody that's had some really serious shit. I mean, I've met, like, to me, one of the most extraordinary cases is Travis Walton and his whole story mm. where he was missing for friggin' five days. Yeah. And the whole town was looking for this guy, and everybody he knows was actually accused of killing him. Right. I mean, this was some serious shit. And I've met that guy, and he is the most genuine, real person you can find in this topic. Well, we interviewed him. He, Did you really? He, he's yeah. been on the show before. Yeah, man. he is awesome, talk, yeah. And that is, and talk about walking on eggshells, or I should say talking on eggshells, because you don't know where you want to go. You know, it's yeah. like, wow, what you went through. Like, I saw the movie, but I know you went through a lot more than what the movie showed. Yeah. And... And I, I just feel like I, I want to be very gentle with the guy. Yeah, you know? I know. Like, there is some stuff that happened <laughs> well, in a way that affected him. Because he's described as being, before that incident, and, and kind of why that incident happened, he was always described as this crazy, outgoing, wild guy that would he would be the one to jump out of the right. car and run over there. And you meet him now, and he is... A very conservative, yeah. subdued dude. Subdued stuff has gone on with this guy. I know, know. that's the thing. It's and like holy is, crap, man. <laughs> you wouldn't think of him as like the guy that jumps out, you right. know, which tells you that this really affected his life. And, you know? and that's another point I wanted to make with the other people when they're so animate about telling you the story when they're outgoing with it. It's like, wait a minute, you know. It's like. It's, it, it would seem like the guy over there in the corner who's not saying a word probably has more to tell than you do. Exactly, and yeah. I, and, you know, download whatever you want to download from someone if that's what's helping you. <laughs> yeah. By all means, awesome. You right. know, if you have a good positive message to tell people, great. Um, but it's the story, the backstory is, is it's hard to swallow, man. It's hard to believe, man. Yeah. Some, on some of them. On some yeah, of them. yeah. But again, it's just we got to take them for what it is. And that's how they want to present themselves. You can check out Dale's art online at dalehendricksonartanddesign.com. Meanwhile, we'll play a tune for one of my favorite indie bands, the Hoot Hoots, from Seattle, Washington, and their song, Home. More with artist Dale Hendrickson coming up on the Mothership Radio Show. We have Dale Hendrickson with us here, and we talked about the activism earlier. We haven't really got into that. Uh, animals, um, eating better, eating healthier, eating cleaner, uh, eating not animals, <laughs> if you will. Um, was, when did that get going for you, and uh, what was the turning point for you? I mean, because you worked for The Simpsons, and there was that one Simpson episode where they went through the, uh, the cattle slaughterhouse. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of interesting. I think it parallels where I've always been, where it's always a certain level of uh, empathy and compassion for, for things that can't speak for themselves, whether it's people or animals. When I grow up, I'm going to Bovine University. I've always resonated with that. And even as a kid, I used to be the guy that would be out trying to save things from my associates or friends on the block you know <laughs> it was common like oh let's put firecrackers in the frog's mouth and i'd be right. like no let's <laughs> not do that you know <laughs> you know sure things that kids like to do that i never did and it's just like i just resonate with I happen to like animals. I don't like blowing them up or right. killing them or whatever. But uh, it's interesting to me because I feel like the ideas about respecting sentient life as animals parallels kind of with my interest in the UFO phenomenon in that we're trying to unravel this situation of like, what the fuck is this all about in general? You sure. know, it's like it can't be that you know, we're here just to destroy things or whatever, that there's got to be a certain level of respect for what we call sentient life, things that feel, that have a certain, uh, that life itself matters on, on some level. So I've always kind of been there, you know. And so the animal stuff is part of, you know, people as well. It's, it's people and animals. It's not only animals, but animals seem to get the short shift, you know, in a lot of this. And uh, we consider a lot of it as... You know, that's the way it's always been. That's how we do things. But I'm of the mind that as beings, we're not here to do things as we've always done it. Right. We're here to do things as we evolve. And 
I hope that we're <laughs> evolving. We don't need to do these things anymore. Yeah. You know, we've become aware of what's going on around exactly. us. And when it's like, it's not necessary, like coal, you know? <laughs> yeah, we don't need right. coal anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. not necessary I mean, anymore. steam engines are really cool, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's move on to maybe electric now. Anything know? better than that. I yeah. mean, the technology is there. The, the will is there, but not for everybody yet. Right. The, the mindset, the challenge that I think is where we're at right now yeah. is, is having to convince people that their antiquated way of thinking is is not not in anymore. Yeah. It's not in fashion. It's exactly. Like, let's take a step back. Let other people take care of it because there's so much more that can help us all. Because we're all going to benefit from this. That's the thing. Is that people don't understand exactly. That's the thing. And and I I wonder when you talk about you know and I'm the look. I grew up eating meat. I grew up eating you know chicken and without thinking anything of it. I didn't think anything outside the ordinary and never knew how it got to my plate. <laughs> exactly. But as I get older, you see that. You see how it works. And you see the caged animals, the you know, the process that it goes through. And it's it really is disgusting. And, it's, and it is disturbing. And, you know, and you want to shun it away and not think about it. And I'm the same. I'm in the same boat. I'm like, I know it. I understand it. But I still don't 100% you know, deny it, I guess you could say, you know, mm-hmm. but do you think, you know, you're in Michigan, probably a lot more outdoorsy than LA is, you know, it's easier to get out into nature than it would be living in a bigger city. Do you think society, as we've gone into the move, the movement of concrete away from our feet to the ground, the soil mm-hmm. has detached us from maybe empathy of nature? Oh, absolutely. I think we get convenience and lifestyle become far more important than being the concept that I learned early on. I kind of grew up in a traditional Christian household. And then by my teenage years, I kind of transferred over to uh, by people that I met uh, into more of a Buddhist philosophy of being mindful. And that whole idea of being mindful of just not just living and going through things like whatever is presented in front of you, you react to, but rather you take a mindful action. Like you decide what's going on with your life. You decide what you're going to believe or not believe. Kind of became more paramount. And being mindful was such an interesting concept. Uh, when I was in Michigan, I there was a man down the street that was a brilliant artist. And I uh, he had a family and everything, but I became, uh, to me, he was like a mentor to me. Uh, I, I think I met him in, when I was like 14, and he was a Buddhist monk. And yet he did all these crazy wild paintings that were just uh, obviously appealed to me as an artist, a uh, young artist. But uh, people accused him of being on acid and everything because these <laughs> paintings were amazing. But I learned a lot from him, and one of the key issues was what that meant to be mindful was just... Be aware of what the choices are that you make and don't just follow along like some blind sheep. (laughs) That concept has always stuck with me. So being mindful means being aware of where does your food come from? What are the things you do every single day that seem like habits, but are they helpful to you? Do they help the planet? Are you a taker or are you a giver? Do you only take from the planet? Do you take from your society? What do you give back? These things became like real things that, I mean, real issues that matter to me, even in high school. It seems like everybody should be aware of these things. Jesus, At least have that exactly. In the, in your yeah. Mind. It's like, why isn't every human <laughs> thinking along these lines? Why versus, is that? Why isn't that part of our, our growing up, our education? You know, yeah. why isn't that part of a basic knowledge of being a human being? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Of how does that be? How to live? <laughs> I know. It's, it's If we all thought about, you know, like, we're all here together. Why don't we do things that actually contribute to the collective thing we're doing versus just oh hey there's a party or there's a, a sale or right. what can i get that's mine right that's mine right yeah, it's yeah. A me, me, what, me. It's not, yeah not exactly us, us. the me philosophy you know it's i mean the society that's been built you know we're living it right now this is how somebody decided this is the way that we're gonna have to live i don't know how it became it's just the way it is here we are we're living it so <laughs> people get trapped in it you know they're they're unaware of what else is they don't have time to think outside the box you know? right. they don't have time to think anything else besides their bills or their job or 
whatever it is, you know, right. the frivolous things that, I mean, obviously there was frivolous, but to me, I think it's frivolous to think yeah. outside of uh, what is this all about? What is our purpose of being on this planet? And this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all messed up in how, how it is and how it's laid out that it, it, it should be different. We shouldn't have to pay for electricity. <laughs> we shouldn't. You know, like, like I just read this As today. Tesla said, <laughs> free electricity for everyone. Do yeah. you think, I'll ask you this question. Do you think the first caveman who created and started fire sold his invention? <laughs> <laughs> He I think he uh, marketed it as a <laughs> franchise. <laughs> Fires here, I mean, you know. I, that must have been like, look what I did. Here, you yeah. can do it too. Here it is. Let's scratch these rocks right, together. Right, and there you yeah, go. Right. And that was a free thing everyone got. Well, God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It was such an important thing How for to life. use <laughs> your very resources that surround you. Right. Yeah. So where was I, the first I capitalistic, know. you know, <laughs> Was the guy who invented the wheel? Did he have a tire shop, you know, like, or a wheel <laughs> shop, you know? <laughs> I've often uh, thought that a great show would be, like, the beginning of everything. And it's, like, literally that thing you're saying. Like, <laughs> the first guy that figured out how to make fire, like, how did that happen? Oh. Or the first guy that decided that you could eat a cucumber, but some other thing uh, would kill you, you know? That. It's That's, like... yes. That's the show I want to see. You know, what killed the person before that one else didn't, <laughs> yeah. you know? Who was like, the taste tester on that? <laughs> exactly. Was he like the little guy on the That's totem funny. pole? Like, okay, you have to try this twig. Will yeah. this kill you or can we eat it? You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, how did that happen? You know, it's That's, like. I always think the same thing, yeah. man. I, um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it's, just, it's just bizarre. And, uh, you know, I, I feel we're kind of in a, in a position where the majority of a society is is waking up to this acknowledgement. Oh, yeah. I yeah. really do see that. And I feel like, and once, I think our superpower, and I've said it before, is that humanity, if we got our collective thoughts together, we can really make some positive change. I think one of the things we have to get away from as a species, as a thought process is, whatever it is, how we eat, how we drive our cars, or whether we use fire or oil or all these different things. It's like the constant refrain of, well, that's how it's always been. And as far as food goes, well, our caveman brothers, you know, ate meat or whatever. Well, the fact is they actually didn't eat that much meat. Uh, we know now from dental records and things like that that primarily the diet of the early man was grains and seeds with an occasional meat thing. All the biggest creatures on the planet, like elephants and giraffes and you name it, they're plant eaters, you know? There's a handful of things like tigers and lions that are total carnivores, but that has nothing to do with us, you right. know? And so it used to be that meat was only something the elites had access to, you know, uh, back in the day. I mean, we're talking like 14, 1500s and all of that, you know? Uh, chickens obviously were easy to come by, but the production of beef and things like that, you know, that was kind of reserved for the kings and queens okay. of the day. And Makes sense. Then commercialism happened in our generation and took that thing, and literally our country was kind of built on the the cowboy mentality, the herding of cattle, the, the meat industry was born, you know. And back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, it became a, a factory thing. Everything became a factory thing. You know, we can mass produce planes, we can mass produce right. cars, we can mass produce meat, you know, if we just take these creatures that think and feel and have emotions, but we can ignore all that and put them into cubicles and treat them like pieces of, uh, you know, rags and towels or whatever. You know, we don't have to think about any of those other things. We can produce massive amounts of meat and we can make money. They don't, you know, that's they don't, when everything we, went askew because... It's not good for our health. It's not good for our planet. It's not good for anything. You know. But it's good for someone. It's, it's good, good for, for someone's people bottom, to make money. Right, bottom yeah. pocket, and that's what they want and without any thought or remorse of what they're doing. Um, and that's another part of our society. We have to realize that these people who are in that position they have no empathy for anybody. Exactly, that's right. It's not part. an empathic no. process. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, any corporation or anything like that, they're just, it's, it's a different style of human being 
It really is. It's almost yeah. like another alien human being. I it mean, is. We are a different species. I mean, before Atlantis blew up or whatever happened to Atlantis, right. <laughs> you know, there was the story of there was two beings on this planet, the beings from Mars and the beings from either us or v- Venus, I think it was. So whether we are from Venus and Mars together, you have your, your dociles versus your hostiles. It seems to be where we're at today. You have your hell bent for leather people and you have your, you know, let's save the leather, you know, let's have yeah, no yeah, leather yeah. people, you know? <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> That's where we're at these days. Yeah. You have these two competing species of beings at a battle for for righteousness, I guess. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, we can take it all Hollywood if you want. <laughs> but it is a battle of, of good and evil. And, yeah. and right now the evil is, is, I'm not saying they're winning, but they're definitely in charge. Yeah. Um, well, it's the, it's the money. You know, you say follow the money. Right. And it's a corporate thing. And it's completely destructive to the actual spiritual and physical needs of the human being but it's something that got created as the way we organize ourselves but now at this point we're seeing that it's it's very destructive to our very survival right i mean the the continuation of farming and creating animals that actually wouldn't exist in nature the cows today that people eat for meat wouldn't exist in nature. They were developed. They are all literally GMO creations. So people that go around saying, oh, I won't eat GMO. Well, the very thing you eat as a meat product is a GMO cow because that cow would not exist in nature without megabucks creating that type of cow to be uh, butchered and creating deformed, a... by the way, deformed. right? Because oh, absolutely, they're tweaking yeah. the, the, the genetics of these cows yeah, so they produce that's more. Wh- and That's why there is no such thing as a non-GMO cow. They've all been genetically so modified. do you think cows, in a sense, would not be on this planet anymore? You think they would have been extinct? Well, the kind of cows we eat today shouldn't exist. That's, that's the way it is. The original bulls and cows and things that roamed the range back in the day that evolved with all the other life on this planet, that's not what people eat today. What people eat today is a manufactured monster that shouldn't exist. I've been off off milk for a long time. Um, As soon as I found almond milk, I was like, let me get on this right away. Before then, I was drinking skim milk, and I went from vitamin D milk to skim milk to 2% right. to skim, and the, the vitamin D and the, and, the, and the 2% was, and this was in high school, this was the mid-80s for me, and it grossed me out because it was too thick, it, was, it wasn't, I didn't like it, yeah. and I went to skim milk right away, and I drank skim milk for a long time. It's, I don't know, maybe for me it's never felt natural, you know? I've always, I've always had that yeah. inside me. Because I'm now trying to be as much as I can without sure. eating as much meat. Before <laughs> I uh, got off dairy and all of that, I mean, finally I kind of went like, well, if I'm going to drink any of that stuff, I want it to be as pure and unaffected as possible. So right. I was getting, like, raw milk from farmers and things like that, you know. And Was that cutting it for you? Well, it was like, it felt like, oh, this got to be better, but... The problem is that I, what I learned later, uh, and as <laughs> once I got off of dairy altogether, 50% of my nasal and sinus allergies went away. Mm. 50%. Yeah, I've I heard mean, that before. I, it makes I sense. Mean, I've been an asthmatic person. I've had so many allergies growing up as a kid, and I was a dairyaholic. I mean, I was, growing up, I was like milkshakes almost every other day. I mean, I was like so addicted to it. You know, it's like so, it is an addictive thing, you know. Well, they said either, I think cheese is as addictive as Coke. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and it literally has an element in it that has the same addictive properties as like cocaine or some of these things on the human brain. I mean, there are very direct addictive elements within that product. I wean myself off that stuff. Yeah. I well, think that's, that's what you got to do. You do. You, you got to wean yourself to, yeah. off it. So, you you know, it'll be just a little bit of little. You yeah. won't need it anymore. We got to change 
our palates. Yes. And that's another big thing for the American diet, you know, because it's so disgusting these days, you know, yeah. what we're eating. It's, you know, I mean, everything on a 4th of July meal <laughs> <laughs> should be gone. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Really, it really should be because I it's know, all disgusting. It but is. then you're like getting the people, well, that's not American. And then you're right, American, right, and right. Well, you're not man enough because you got to eat a steak. What do you get a salad? You make fun of that salad. It's like, I, why Why should I care what you think about what I eat? I've never understood that, why I should be <laughs> guilty for not eating a steak, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, like you're, 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 you're not a man. To, you're right. I'm not yeah, a man yeah. enough to eat that. I was like, what's that? It doesn't right, make right. sense. Mr. McClure, I have a crazy friend who says it's wrong to eat meat. Is he crazy? No, just ignorant. Yeah. It's this weird brainwashing that people have gotten themselves into. The other thing is, is that it's so arbitrary. I mean... You know, we have, like, this moral outrage of, like, if you went to your neighborhood barbecue, and instead of a roasting a pig, they had a dog on that spigot. People would be outraged. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, that's, like, that's, Unless you know, you're in Korea. that's spot. You know, what's he doing on that spigot? You know, are you kidding me? That yeah, dog has the same intelligence as far as fear and feelings right. and pain, as a pig does. Right. Pigs are actually, from science, we know that pigs have the emotional intelligence of the three- to four-year-old child. Right. Oh, beautifully done. I can't tell you how grateful I am to y'all. So you might as well put a child of three or four years old on that spigot because the same level of emotional intelligence is there. It's like, why the f*** is that okay? Oh, because we've always done it that way? Well, I'm sorry, but that's no longer acceptable to me anyway. You know, There's a, The uh, idea of we've always done it that way is not an I, excuse. Right. It's not an excuse. So why can't we change? Yeah. I mean, I thought this whole concept of our nation was to progress, you know, <laughs> and we're doing the opposite. I would like to think that's it. Yeah. Uh, right. We have to. So life is easier for everyone and better for everyone. There's a billboard I saw where it's like, where do you draw the line? And it's, you know, cat, dog, horse. And then the line's drawn. Then it's a cow, you know, chicken, right. blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, why do we, only because it's socially acceptable to exactly. eat these other animals than it is for dogs or cats. Yeah. You know, you live anywhere it's else arbitrary. in the world. Right. It is arbitrary. It's what you decide socially to arbitrary. Right. So if you have any real sense of what's right or wrong, what's empathic for you, what matters to you, if pain and suffering to a, a dog, say, matters to you, or a cat, why the hell doesn't matter to animals we call food when they have the same basic level right. of intelligence? There's places you can go. There are these uh, sanctuaries where you can go up and you can hug a cow and you can find out that they will lick you, they will love you, they will nuzzle you. Everything that a dog does, you know, what's the difference? It's because you've decided, you know, that society has told you that, well, these we eat and these other ones we keep as pets. But right. in another country, places in India, you know, cows are revered. They walk the streets. You don't eat them. Hmm. You eat other things, you know. <laughs> so it's so friggin' arbitrary. Like, if you're really, again, coming back to this idea of being mindful, if you're really conscious and that empathy matters to you as a human being, then it shouldn't be arbitrary. Yeah. It's, you know, cruelty is cruelty. And it shouldn't have the association of nationalism. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> shouldn't have, like, America, right, we eat America. this animal. And <laughs> what do you mean? We don't eat cows anymore? Well, that's not American anymore. It's like, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called humanity, man. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's start there first. I appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining us here. No problem. A lot of the interview didn't make the radio version, but you can catch all that on the podcast version on the MothershipRadioShow.com and on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, CastBox, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Just search the show online, but do that on your own time. The Strange and Unusual, the Mothership Radio Show, will step aside for another week. You guys take it easy out there, and thank you for tuning in to the Mothership Radio Show. Thank you, and keep watching the sky.